chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Father, we see you in the most precious name, the name above every name. That name is Jesus this morning. And Lord, with a humility of heart, God, and a submissiveness, God, we come to you, Lord, in the fear of God, asking and begging, beseeching, pleading with you, Lord, that you would use us, God, that you would help us, Father, that you would speak to us. God, help us just not make this another Sunday morning, but make this a different than ever before. God, may the heavens come down and may your glory fill our souls. God, we pray, Lord, that you'll do something real special in this morning. God, to every sinner, to every saint. We're leaning on you. Without your help this morning, we're helpless. God, without you coming down, we're hopeless. Lord, we just need God this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be so we began the message of last Sunday morning with the purpose of the grace of God. And we realize the definition of grace is the favor of God or the benefit of God or the, ple- or the, the very pleasure of God. So you have the favor, the pleasure, and the benefit. That's what grace means this morning. So when you say that I'm saved by grace, you're saying I'm saved by the favor of God. I'm saved by the benefit of God. I'm saved by the pleasure of God. Well, you know, I find that I'm living in grace. I need grace. That means you need the favor and the benefit and the pleasure of God on this side. You say, when I die, I need some dying grace. Yes, you're saying that I need the favor and the pleasure and the benefit of God. And so grace, in the way of definition, is uh, favor, pleasure, and benefit. Number two, we talked about the, the delivery of grace. Here in verse 11, it says, that bringeth salvation. We find that this grace in our lives, this favor of God, has brought us in the deliverance from the devil. And boy, I tell you, that's a big thought right there to know that you were the child of the devil and the devil had you in captivity, but it was the grace of God that brought down and snatched you out of the hand of the devil. We find that the grace bringeth safety from hell. There was a day that you were headed to hell. You were headed to hell fast. You were headed to hell quick. You were headed to hell uh, for in, as whom hell is because that's who you were. And yet, the Bible says, because of grace, you find safety now from hell. Grace this morning delivered you uh, from sin. It was the healing from sin. It was grace that healed you from even desire of sin. It was grace that took the guilt of sin and has taken the the very pain of sin. It has taken the shame of sin and it has delivered you. Well, thank God for His grace. Amen. 
I'll tell you the fourth thing that it has delivered grace. Grace preservated or, or preservation from death. That means whenever you receive the grace of God, you have now been preserved in life and you'll never experience death. Amen? Isn't that something? Even our bodies will just go forth and move on. And uh, one day, someday, here quickly, I would think that uh, the rapture may take place and we'll just meet the Lord in the air. The Bible says we pass from death unto life. And so we find the delivery of grace. We found the dominance of grace. The Bible says in verse 11, it hath appeared to all men. That means that it has become clearly known in all places. This morning in the place of Glory Baptist Church, none in this room by the end of the day can say that I don't know about the grace of God. It has also appeared clearly to all people, to everyone hearing the gospel, to everyone listening to the gospel, and everyone living, they find themselves that there is a universal need in all the world, and that universal need is taken care of or provided by the grace, the universal remedy. We found that the word appeared, it means to shine upon. It means to make visible. For every soul, for every sinner, for everyone who's ever been saved, that grace has shined upon you. That grace has made it visible so that you may know that you're a sinner and Jesus is Savior. Hallelujah for the grace of God. Number two, we talked about the power of the grace of God. We just got a little bit into this, but we found that the power of the grace of God, according to verse 12, it is to reform us. So when you get saved, you get regenerated, you get reconciled unto God, but you also beget, you get reformed. You're not the same, you're different. Uh, to change our person, the grace of God does that in verse 12, teaching us. Now we talked about the word teaching and quickly I just want to say it means this this morning. It means to train up. And I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about Brother Keith and about others that are police officers today and uh, uh, they go through a, a, a tremendous amount of training and they go through a tremendous amount of situations and, and what happens when you get out of your car and, and when you come up to another car, how do you walk, where do you walk, where do you look, where do you go and then when you come up to a domestic issue in a home, where, when do you walk up to the home, where do you stand at the home, do you stand back or do you stay over this, that? There's something within a uh, going on as a fight or maybe a robbery. Every situation that these police officers are in, you have found that they have been trained. Trained. And many times when you talk to those police officers under some gunfire or a situation that's taken place, you ask them, well, how did you know to do what you did? And every single one of them would say, Training. There comes a place in the police officer's life that he don't even have to think anymore. He don't even have to, to even assume anymore. He doesn't even have to, to do something special. He's so trained that whatever goes down, he just goes by his training. And that's what Christianity is all about this morning. It is about when the grace of God birthed you into the kingdom of God, you'll find that it begins to teach you, begins to train you, that you don't even think anymore. You just do as the grace of God's trained you. 
Amen. I mean, there's no, there's no thinking about it. There's no praying about it. Uh, there's no wondering about it. It's just the grace of God as you walk in God's grace that saved you by His grace. It's a training. Amen. Number two, that word, knowing grace, remember the word teaching means training, but it means education or educating. I thought of a brain surgeon. I thought of a heart surgeon. I thought about every time that they would look at a brain, the brain will always be the same. Every time they look at a heart, the heart would be the same. But because of their 10 and 12 and 15 years of studying of a heart or of a brain, that when they look at a brain, when they look at a heart to do these surgeries, to do these things that they need to do in order for these individuals to have a better life or at least a, some sort of a better life, uh, they always refer to the education, what they've been taught. And friend, that's what Christianity is this morning. It's not something every day we got to learn how to be Christ-like. It's not every day we got to learn, okay, what do I need to do with my wife? What do I need to do with my husband? How do I need to raise my children? What do I need to do out in the world? No, it's something the grace of God has educated you. That's right. There is just some things that the Spirit of God, the grace of God has taught you. That's right. I remember nobody ever told me that I needed to go to church when I got saved. But when I got saved, I went to church. Amen. Who told me those things? The grace of God. Now, you know, there's a lot of things in life where nobody just told you, but it was something that did teach you, amen, the education that the grace of God gives. So there's no excuse this morning if you're saved by grace. The grace has educated you. It has trained you. Lastly, the word is discipline. The word teach means discipline. It kind of reminds me of a military. It kind of reminds me of an army or a navy or air force or the big marines. We find that as they start up, it's all about discipline. They come in early. They put their uniforms on. They clean up their shoes. They put their tags on. They put anything and everything that they have. They go and they run together. They say cadence together. They run the same place the same way. They do all that the training that they do. They do all the things that they do. Marines, doesn't matter. It's all about discipline, 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 discipline. So whenever they get to the battlefield, there's no questions. There's no wonders it's what they discipline themselves for. I was talking to Brother Gary Britton when he was in Vietnam. And he, I said to him, I said, Brother, when you was down in the hole, when you was down uh, there when Vietnamese were shooting at you, and the captain or the sergeant would say, let's go. And you got to get out of the hole and run to the enemy as the enemy was shooting at you. How did you do such a thing? He said, discipline. Discipline. I'm going to say to you, friend, this is what Christianity is all about. Right. It's the Spirit of God, the grace of God teaching us. Right. So the very things that we're about to talk about is not something this morning uh, that you're going to have to work with. No. It's not something you're going to have to, you know, deal with. It's something that the grace of God is going to educate you, train you, and discipline you. We talk about in this Reformation to reform you. The first thing we talked about there in verse 12 was denying ungodliness. That means to reject ungodliness. And this is a settled matter. 
This is not something you move into or you grow into or that you become into. No, when you get saved by the grace of God in verse 11 and then verse 12, immediately you're going to deny ungodliness. It's not if you are, it's not you might be, it's not, no. Anything contrary to God, you're going to reject. Anything that's going to be against God, you're going to reject. Anything that's going to be uh, unlike God, you're going to say no. Uh Uh-uh, not me. I've been saved by the grace of God. And so there's a denial of the, uh, in verse, verse 12, the denying of ungodliness. Number two, the refusing of worldly lust. Verse 12, worldly lust is a settled matter. What is worldly lust? It's the longing for what is forbidden. That's what worldly lust means. Forbidden, what's been forbidden. And when you got born again by the grace of God, you have now been forbidden to do something of worldly lust. So you're going to have to refuse it. Refusing is longing for what is uh, forbidden, desiring for what is corrupt, uh, craving for what is worldly. These things you're going to have to refuse. Well, how am I going to do that by the grace of God? Well, I'm just kind of nervous about this. Have you ever heard anybody say, listen, when I can get my life right, I become a Christian? You'll never get your life right. And somebody said, you know what, when I get out of this sin, when I get done with all this going on in my life, then I come to church and then I come serve God. Listen, you'll never get out of all that. You've got to be saved by grace so that the grace has the power in its teaching that is to educate you, that is to train you up, that is to discipline you so that you can deny ungodliness, but that also you can refuse worldly lust. If you're here today and you say you're saved, but you cannot get over worldly lust, friend, you're not saved. I'm sorry, you're just unborn again. The grace of God has not entered into your life because if it's entered into your life, you will refuse those things that are forbidden, those things of of the world, those things today that are corrupt. You'll refuse them. You say, well, how can some Christian be so much like, man, they just got it all together. I'm going to tell you how they got it together. The grace of God. Amen. He said, well, they've been in church longer. It don't matter. The grace of God. He said, well, they, they look at their Bible. Not, the grace of God. That's the answer to every one of our problems today. If you can't get over ungodliness and worldly lust. It alarms me in the church today of the worldly lust. It alarms me today in the way the church is performing or the way the church is operating in worldly lust. It alarms me that worldly lust is in our homes, it's in our hearts, it's on our bodies, friend, it's in our mind, it's in our day. Friend, we just find that worldly lust is acceptable. But friend, as a grace of God, worldly lust is not acceptable. That's right. Amen. It's not. And only the grace of God can make that come true for you. We see today and Bible says in verse 12, I think we stopped there last week, but verse 12 we talked about not only refusing ungodliness or re- rejecting ungodliness and refusing worldly lust, but I noticed in verse 12 what we have been taught, what we have learned, and what we have been disciplined for by the grace of God is by living soberly. 
This has nothing to do with drinking, by the way. This has everything to do, again, let me say it like this, it's a settled matter. Now when I say it's a settled matter, I'm just saying this morning that when the grace of God comes into your life, you don't have an option uh, to reject ungodliness. There's no, there's no option with that. You will. You have no option to refuse worldly lust. You will. And then you have no option to live soberly. It's a settled matter. That's the way the term is written in English. We find it in the structure of the writing here. It's a settled matter. We find looking at yourself. In other words, today the scripture says that the grace will cause you to live soberly looking at yourself. That's what it's saying there. Soberly. And we should live soberly. We should look at ourselves. Now, we don't like doing that. We don't like looking at ourselves. We like looking at everybody else. We like looking at next to the one who's next to us. We want to, 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 we want to, to compare and we want to uh, divide accordingly to what everything and everyone is doing and who they are. And yet the scripture says when the grace of God gets in your life, we should live soberly and that means we should look at ourselves. For what? Number one, that word soberly means self-control. Self-control. We find this morning that to live soberly is living in self-control. Self-control is a temperance. Self-control and temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? And we find this morning that if you are out of control, the grace of God is not near your life. Self-control. You say, I can't help myself. You got a real problem. Right? That's true. I, I just, I, every time that happens, I just lose my mind. Every time that happens, I just get so angry. And every time that happens, you know, I just want to punch him in the face. I'm just saying this morning, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And what's wrong with us is grace. Right. Because see, when grace is in our lives, we should live soberly. Wow. Self-control. Looking at self. We ought to constantly be looking at us, saying, Lord, oh, search me, oh God. Try me, God. We found on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to come to church on Wednesday night. We do have church on Wednesday night, by the way, at 7 o'clock. And we do open the Bible. We do preach. And we do sing songs and we pray. And we lift up the name of Jesus. I don't know if you like that or not. I don't know if you're into things like that. You say, well, you're being sarcastic, brother. There I am. For, for, the, for the life of me, of being saved since 1988, of not coming to church and me being a Christian. That don't make no sense to me. That's like me being hungry, but never go to the table. That's like me being poor, but never go to work. That's like me saying I'm going to heaven, but never around heavenly things. I would say to you, friend, I want to encourage you to come to church on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, friend, we preached on, listen, not to judge, amen, we like that, amen. But what do we judge? We judge rather that we'll put not a stumbling block before our brethren, that we're not given occasion for our brother to fall. These are the things that we judge, not one another, but those things is what we judge. 
And here the same concept this morning is that we should live soberly. That's looking at ourselves, not looking at others, and that you and I could be under self-control. Self-control. Watch your mouth. Control your mind. Know what your left hand. Know where you're stepping. Know what to do. Pay attention. We find the word sober means sanity. Sanity. Sensible. So the Bible teaches us that we're going to live sensible. We're going to live sanity. We're going to live in a place where somebody can watch our lives, somebody can hear us talk, somebody can see what we do, and they say, that's sensible. That's not like weird. That's not like really off the block. That's not like something that, you know, you look at that individual, you see what they say, how they live. Now, to the world it may be odd, but to God it's sensible. The word also sober means sanctity, separate. And so that I'm going to live separate, I'm going to live sensible, and I'm going to live in self-control because, see, when I'm going to live looking at myself. I'm going to pay attention to what I say. I'm going to pay attention to how I act. I'm going to pay attention to how I react. I'm going to pay attention to what I am and the influence that I am and the impact that I have. I'm more interested this morning in me. Right, right. I'm going to live soberly. Because, see, when you live haphazardly and you live looking at everybody else in your home and looking at everybody else in your church and you're looking around to everywhere else today, you lose your sanity. You lose your sanctity and you lose self-control. But it's only when you go soberly and only the grace of God can bring you there. So if I'm the power of the grace of God, it will make you live soberly. Number three or number four. Not to live soberly, but the Bible says to by living biblically. The Bible says in verse 12, and we should live soberly, righteously. The word righteously there would be biblically, would be living right according to the Word of God. Again, it's a settled matter. And now we're not only looking at ourselves, but then he tells us to look at others. We're not looking at others, though, as we looked at ourselves, but we're looking at others so that we would live righteously. And what does that mean? That means doing right. So there's not one in this room this morning can do right outside of God. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. Not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. But when the grace of God enters into our lives and we become born again, we become Christ-like, we now can find that we can live righteously and we're living righteously as as we look at others, we're just going to do right. Right. We're going to be right. We're going to act right. Uh And we're always going to strive for right. 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 Is that true? Well, then what's wrong with us? Is it the grace of God that's weak? 
Is it the grace of God that's let us down? Is it the grace of God that's not true in the Bible? Now it makes the Bible untrue, and now there's a fault, there's a fallacy. The Word of God is not as pure as we thought it was because it says when the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and uh, to deny unworldly lust, living, we should live soberly and righteous. So every one of us in this room who professes to be saved by the grace of God ought to have in their heart, I want to be right. You say, that's pride. No, that's Christ. In every situation, we want to be right. I'm going to do right. I want to act right. And you can just mark it down, friend. Whenever I'm involved, and you can say this of yourself, when I'm involved, when I say I'm not talking about me personally, but when I am involved in all of us, whether it's a business transaction, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a decision, whether it's a marriage, whether it's something that you and I have an agreement with, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do you right. It will be right every time that I have anything to do with it. I'm telling you right now. I will be right. It will be right. We will be right and righteous this way that I live. Is there something wrong with that? Can you imagine this morning if all the church of this group would go forth from this day and say that every single thing I have and do, I will do it right? Can you imagine it would change it would make? People like Brother, Brother Keith, who's a police officer, wouldn't even have a job. The reason why he has a job? Because we do wrong. The reason why this morning the whole world is plummeting into places where we've never seen it before is because people have decided, I'm just going to not live righteously. I'm going to live like everybody else. I'm a, if I have a sorry husband, I'm going to be a sorry wife. If I got a sorry wife, I'm going to be a sorry husband. If I, got a, if I got sorry children, I'll be a sorry parent. If I got a sorry parent, I'll be a sorry child. If I'm at work, if I got a sorry employee, I'll be a sorry employee too. If I got a sorry uh, boss, I'm going to be a sorry uh, employee. I mean, it just seems like that's how we work on these bases. And the Bible says, oh no, when the grace of God, it will, you will live righteously. Settled matter. And friend, when we don't do right, God will bring conviction. Yes. And friend, I, I would say to you, I don't believe in many hearts of many people today that when you get up in the morning, it's not a determination within your heart that I'm going to do right today. I believe it ought to be a prayer unto God as we wake up off our bed and look unto the Lord and say, Dear God, you give me another day. You give me another opportunity. You give me a privilege today that I can live for you. And I want to let you know, Lord, that I want to be right. Right. I don't want to do wrong. I don't want to be wrong. But I want to be right. I tell you, if we start out with that determination, we might do something. Rather than saying this, you know, Lord, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Lord, I know that I can't ever go a day without sinning. Lord, I know that, that uh, you realize that because you said, you said unto John chapter 2, he said, I would have not you, brethren, to sin. But if you do, 
we have an advocate with the Father. And so, Lord, you've given me some space so that I could fall and falter and stumble around. Then you tell me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if I confess my sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, so I know in the back of my mind, when I do do wrong, all I got to do is confess it and get forgiveness. Right? That's a horrible motive. That's the intent of a heart that's of a lost man. But the fact of the matter is every one of us are to be because of the grace of God I'm going to live righteous. Because of the grace of God I'm going to be sober. Because of the grace of God here thirdly I want you to notice now I live soberly and biblically but I live godly. The Bible says in that verse 12 he says godly. That means just Christ like. It's a settled matter so I'm going to look at myself and soberly, I'm going to look at others in righteously, and then I'm going to look at God in godly. So as I live and as I go and as I behave in my conduct, I'm going to look at me, make sure I'm sober, but then I'm going to look at others and make sure that I'm right, but then I'm going to look at God and make sure that I'm godly. Amen. And the only way to be godly this morning is Christ-like. Right. You can't be godly being Paul-like. Peter-like, Abraham-like, Noah-like. The only one today that you're going to be like to be godly is Christ-like. Christ-like. You can't be like me and be godly. You can't be like you and be godly. Only Christ. We find, what does that mean? Well, that means this as we look at God, uh, fearing God. To live godly, you fear God. Fearing God, which means reverencing God, which means respecting God. And all that means this morning is I'm going to live my life and I'm going to live it in the agreement with God. Does God want me to have sex outside of marriage? Oh, no. Why don't you have that? Why don't you do that? You don't want to do that? Oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. Do you have opportunities to do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, is it something that could happen like any time? Yeah. Then why don't you pursue your lust? Why don't you pursue your desires and your longings and your cravings? Oh, I tell you why. Because, see, I'm in agreement with God. That means being godly. I'm in agreement with God. Me and Him don't disagree. I'm in agreement. Isn't that good? The fear of God, the reverence of God, the respect of God is that now. God, because of the grace of God, put me in a right relationship with God, and now I've got an agreement with God. Number two, I notice it means this morning that I'm living in acceptance of God. That's what it means to live godly. I'm in acceptance with God. God is accepting my lifestyle. God's accepting the way I handle my home. God is accepting the way that I do at church. God is accepting the way I handle my finances. God is accepting the way that I talk, the way that I do, the things I look upon, the things I listen to. God is accepting. So I'm living in acceptance with God. This is godly. Where does it come from? Fear, reverence, and respect. I'm looking to God. Well, the grace of God does some things in our lives. I mean, a lot of times, friend, we kind of boast over these things, but really there's no boasting to be had. We can just say, thank you, grace. Thank you, Lord. 
third thing that what it means to live godly is living in allowance by God. So what I'm doing today is because God has allowed me to do it today. So where I go today and how I behave today and the things I do today, God is allowing them to do. Now once I get out of the allowance and start doing my own thing, then I get into trouble. But the grace of God has given me power to be godly to be in acceptance with God, to be allowance with God, uh, to be in agreement with God. This is the grace of God. These are, these are settled matters. These are not optional matters. So in order for us to understand about denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust, living soberly, living righteously, and living godly, is all the result and the work of the grace of God. As much as you are saved and headed for heaven is as much as the grace of God has reformed you. As much as redemption has taken place in your life and reconciliation unto God is the same as reformation. As much as you want to say, I know that 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 I'm saved and going to heaven, it's the same as the Reformation. I know that I know that I know that I know that God changed me. That I've been reformed. I know, I know, I know. Because my life has changed. I'm different now. And we find this morning in the grace of God by living Looking. Look at verse 13. By living, looking. The Bible says, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And so how are we living? Well, the Bible says, in this present world. These are where these things happen. Not when we get to heaven, but right now. And while we're living right now, we're living, looking. Living, looking. And what are we looking at? Well, the Bible says we're looking for heaven. Amen. That's the way you ought to be living. Looking for heaven. You say, where's heaven in that verse? Well, the Bible says uh, the blessed hope. The blessed hope. That's eternal life. That's the eternal home. Uh, that's the eternal happiness. We ought to live every single day looking to heaven. Looking heavenward. Looking and saying, listen, we're headed home. One day it's going to be happiness. And one day for all of eternity, I'll be with Jesus. I'll be with all the patriarchs. I'll be with those of the New Testament. I'll be with those that have died in Christ. I'll be living for all of eternity in a place called heaven. Hey, listen, friend, that's what we ought to be looking for. And the grace of God is what makes us do that. If all you, do, all you do is looking at Gaza, all you're doing is looking at Russia and China, all you're looking at is the, the Biden administration, all you're looking at is your work and your home and your finances and your 401, and all you do is just looking for this day. And you might say this, I live week by week. I live day by day. You don't understand. Just for me to get to church this morning, I made an achievement. And I, you don't understand. If you've experienced the grace of God, your daily life will be looking heavenward. Yes, amen. Thinking of heaven. 
I wonder this morning, has anybody last week thought of heaven? I wonder if anybody in this room sat down and said, Lord, thank you for the blessed hope. One of these days I'm going to be in heaven. I'm telling you today, something wrong with the church. There's something wrong, not with just glory about this church. I'm talking about with the church at large. Because, see, we're all looking for different things. But the grace of God would teach us to look heavenward. And when the grace of God is really in your life, in heaven, get sweet. Amen. You don't have to be on a Methodist hospital. You ain't got to be down at, at uh, M.D. Anderson, friend. You ain't got to be out there on a slab somewhere. You ain't got to be out there on a, in a bus or, or down there in an ambulance somewhere, friend. All you got to know is, listen, the grace of God has given me a new look. Yes. And it's heavenward. Didn't know, didn't know Abraham say that? That he was looking for a place? Why would even Jesus in John 14 even say to the people that were all burdened up, were all having a, having a cow, had, they were all out of their mind, and Jesus said, calm it down. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now why is he talking like that? If we're not to look for heaven, we're not to be about heaven today while we're on earth in this present evil world, then why would Jesus put that in John 14? Was he just teasing them? Was he just saying, really, I'm fixing to tell you something, that I go to prepare a place in heaven in my Father's house, and if I go to prepare a place there, he said, I just want you to know that where I go, you'll go with me, but I'm just teasing. I'm just joking. I'm just, kind of, I'm just really finding something to say. No. Us that are saved by the grace of God, we can be happy today. You know why we can be happy today? Because we're looking to heaven. All your world may be crashing in. And all of your finances be, might be going down. And all your health is falling. But there's one thing. Looking to heaven. Amen. Amen. Yes. I'm just saying that's what people who are saved by the grace of God do. Looking to heaven. Number two. Looking heaven. But number two, this looking, living, looking is looking for not only heaven, but looking for him. The Bible says in that same verse, he says, for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We find that our life as a grace of God has now been into our lives and it brought quality to our lives. It has brought an enhancement in our lives that now we're looking to him. We're looking for Him. We're looking for His appearing. We're looking to meet Him in the air. We're looking to be in presence with Him. We're looking to see His blessed face. We're looking to be with Him for all of eternity. We're looking for Jesus. Those that are saved by the grace of God are looking for Jesus. (laughs) Well, who in the world is He? Well, he's just the great God. That's all. That's all he is. He's just a Savior. The Lord Jesus, There, it tells us in verse 13, we're looking for the appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're not just looking for any him. 
We're looking for Him. And that's why when we sing songs, it's about Him. And that's why when we preach messages, it's about Him. And why we teach classes is about Him. And when you go home and teach your children, you should teach them about Him. And whenever you live out your life, you ought to live Him. Amen. It's all about Jesus this morning. That's if you've been born again by the grace of God. Because that grace of God will train you, educate you, and discipline you. So that when you live in this present world, you'll live looking. Looking where? Looking to heaven. Looking to him. And then thirdly, I notice, uh, you'll find that you'll look for Jesus' presence. It says his return. He's coming. You'll look for his person. That's the great God, our sovereignty. That word great God means our only God, our supreme God, our mighty God. And when you look for our Savior, that means the deliverer of mankind, the rescuer of mankind, the justifier of mankind, the preserver of mankind, the healer of mankind. That's my Lord. That's who I'm looking for. Living, looking, but I notice sixthly, living, knowing. Looking at verse, verse 12. In this present world. Knowing that now I must live now. Tomorrow will never get here, friend. Now is the day that you live. The grace of God saves you now. The grace of God teaches you now. It is right now. If your life don't reflect nor manifest Titus chapter 2 and verses 11, 12, and 13 thus far, then you have not received the grace of God. It's now. It's forever. It's true. This is what God's grace has done. And the power of His grace, what has it done? It changed our purpose or our, our changed our lives. It changed our person. It reformed us. Number two, not only does it reform us, but this power of the grace of God redeems us. Look at verse 14. The aim of His grace was us. It says, who gave Himself for us. Who's us? Who's us? Us that has the grace of God. Right? Us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that Jesus loved us. Who's he talking about? The church. And gave himself for us. Is that what it says? You say, who loved the world? God so loved the world. What does Jesus love? Jesus loves us. Those that have been redeemed. Those that have been washed in the blood. Those that have been the very one of the grace of God. He loves us. We are His bride. He's the groom. He's the head. We're the body. He's the commander. We're the soldiers. I just say... It's us. 
That was his aim, was us. Us. We know number two, what was his, not only his aim this morning, but what was his avenue of grace who gave himself. This great God gave himself. This wonderful Savior gave himself. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself. Do we know the magnitude of that? Do we know the words that were just spoken? The words that were written by the Holy Ghost of God that this great God and Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. We're not talking about just some prophet, some priest, or some king. We're not talking about somebody out there that had just a a heart of compassion or a heart of empathy or sympathy for us. No, we're talking about the sovereignty. The God of gods and the Lord of lords. We're talking about the creator of the world. We're talking about the great God. Gave himself. Nor did he reform us, but he redeemed us. The avenue he done it through was himself. The aim was us, the lost, the wicked, the vile. The agenda, he might redeem us from all iniquity. That word redeem means to release us by payment. So what did Jesus do for you and I by grace? He released all the debt that we had on all the sin that we committed. You say, what is the debt of sin? The wages of sin is death. What is death? Separation in hell without God. So you talked about every time I sinned, I I begin to run a bill up. You got that right. Every sin you ever thought, every sin you ever done, every sin you ever said, and every sin that you ever performed, you'll find there was a a rap sheet of you. And all those sins... We're adding up in the book of life. And we find that that book one day revealed. And we looked up at it and it says this. Released by Jesus. (laughs) Released. You go from the book of life to the Lamb's book of life. Released. Oh, that word redeemed there, it not only means release this morning, but it means to liberate. It means to liberate. Let's say like, let's say this, something maybe that uh, I owe you. I owe you $100. And you come to me and say, listen, man, somebody in the church here uh, paid for your $100, so I'll release you from that debt. That's what Jesus did. But that individual says this, Because you owed me $100 and Sister Sophia paid that $100 for you, don't come ask me for nothing else because it looks like you're not going to pay me. Right? Mm -hmm. Although you got your money, it just didn't come through me. And you're saying, me and you are done in deals. Mm -hmm. That's logical, right? Right. Sure. That's not how Jesus works, though. Jesus said, I liberate you. I'm not holding anything back. Even though you couldn't pay for it, and even though somebody else did, I still don't look at you any different. I don't look at you in any way. You have been liberated. You've been released. You've been redeemed. 
Lastly, I noticed that it means this morning you've been free upon payment. You've been free from the grip of sin. You have been free from the guilt of sin. You have been free from the glory of sin. You have now found you with God this morning has found that there's a power of the grace of God. He redeems us. He reforms us. Yeah. Can I say here thirdly and I'll close. Neither power of His grace but I want you to notice the people of the grace of God. He says in verse 14 He says who have gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. The people of the grace of God. Who are they? Well, number one, they are the purified people. If you think that you are the people of the grace of God, you've got to come under this realm of being purified. The Bible says in verse 14, purify unto himself. That means this morning that it was his blood that made you holy. It was his blood that made you clean. It was his blood that made you pure. And this is why he could pay the price. And this is why he made the payment. Because he knew as the God of gods and the Lord of lords that his blood was so powerful that he could forgive and release and be free and liberate every sinner of their sin in all the world from the day of Adam until the day we stand here that that blood was so powerful that none. It was not only powerful, but it was plenteous. In other words, there was enough blood in the body of Jesus to forgive me of all my billions of sins, but all your billions of sins, and all your billions of sins. And so there was plenteous. The blood of Jesus wasn't running out. It was so plenteous. It was so powerful. It was so pure that that blood would not ever be contaminated. It would never, ever come stained where that blood would never become unusable. That blood, that blood, he said, purify unto himself. And you know what type of people you are under the grace of God? You're the people that is pure. Ain't that good? I'm telling you, the people of the grace of God are those that have been purified by himself. They are purified people. Number two, they are possessed people. The Bible says that word peculiar people. The word peculiar means belonging to one. It means possession of one. It means for his possession. And what the Bible's teaching is God says through his grace, not only will he purify a people, but he will have a possession of a people. And those people will be mine. They're my very own people. They're mine and not to share it with any others. 
Uh, they are of me. Uh, they are of my family. Uh, they are my very own people. They're my special people. They're my selected people. I'll never share them with anyone. I'll never split from them. And I'll never say bye to them. Once I save them by the grace of God, they're mine forever. And none will take them out of my hand. None of them will overcome them. I will be their God. And they will be my children. And while I live in this present evil world, they're mine. And while I rapture them in the heavens, they're mine. And while I go into eternity, they're mine. And when I come back in Revelation chapter 19 in the battle of Armageddon, they're mine. And for a thousand years, they're mine. And for all of eternity, they're mine. Possessed people. When somebody says, what's wrong with you? I'm possessed. (laughs) That's a good answer. You're sure acting crazy. I'm possessed. (laughs) Purified people. Possession people. I know you're in a hurry to get out of here. They are passionate people. The Bible says in verse 17, zealous of good works. That word zealous there means fervent, means heat. Good works this morning, that you would be passionate for Christ's work. You see, the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. You and I are not able to do good works. You and I do works. I go to work every day. That's not a good work. It's just a work. You clean your house, you, you, you fix your house, you do all the... That's a work, but not a good work. Right. You say, well, I do a lot of things around the house. I do a lot of things for a lot of people. I, I, I do this, I do that. I feed the poor. I give to the hungry. I, I clothe the naked. I, I help the diseased. I, I do all that. It's a work. Right. But friend, what he has called us and what he has brought to us is that we're a people today that do works of Christ. Right. That's a good work. And we're hot about that. We're fervent about that. That I want to be like Jesus. And what Jesus did, I want to do. And where Jesus goes, I want to go. And what Jesus happens, I want it to happen. That's a good work. A good work today is not basically what you're doing. It's not what you're involved in. It's who you're being like. That makes sense? Because we can do a lot of things for a selfish reason. We can be sitting in the auditorium this morning and it looks good on the outside, looks good on the inside, you're here. But you may not want to be here and you're only here because your parents said that or your spouse said that. And really you're sitting here this morning and you've done nothing for God just yet. I'm just saying a good work is the works for Christ or Christ's work. Your passion for Christ's work. Your passion for Christ's worship. The Bible says, zealous of good works. The good work is worshiping Jesus. And you're passionate about it. You got fire to praise Him, to honor Him, to exalt Him. That's why you come to church. You come to church to praise and exalt. That's why at tonight when you get around your bed or around your couch or, or laying in your bed or wherever you go and begin to, begin to pray and begin to, to have this worship time at home, it's because you're passionate for Christ's worship. 
See, the grace of God has given you passion for Christ's work, but for Christ's worship. And when you exalt Him and lift up His name, it's a burning in you. That's the grace of God. When's the last time you felt a burning for Jesus? When's the last time there was a fervency for the worship of Him? You say, brother, I'm going to come back tonight because I want to worship Jesus. We'll see how burning it will be. Right? Some say, I got a burning to watch Texans. I got a burning to go to my friend's house and do some barbecue. I got a burning to go outside and cut the grass and fix a few things and put some pretty fruit flowers in my garden. Oh, but do you have a burning, a fervency for the worship of Christ, for the work of Christ, and lastly, for the Christ will? See, Christ's will was, he said this on three occasions, he said, to do the Father's will, to do what pleases my Father, to go where Jesus goes in His way, and to stay in the Spirit of Jesus today is to say that you and I are going to do Jesus' will. That's a good work, and it's to please the Father. I say to you, friend, it's going to take a heat to do such a thing. And that heat comes from the grace of God. Zealous of God works. Fire for God's work, for Christ's work. Fire for Christ's worship. Fire for Christ's will. Can I say this morning, I described a Christian. Are you one of them? Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Are you one of these? That grace has not only reformed but redeemed. Would you say this morning that you are, has been, and will be the purpose of the grace of God, the power of the grace of God, the people of the grace of God? This is heaven or hell. This is life or death. This is salvation or no. How about you this morning? If you had to give an account right now unto God, could you give an account that you're a Christian based upon these terms, based upon these facts, this evidence? Let everyone examine himself, see whether they're in the faith or not. We learn on Wednesday night that every man should give an account of himself unto God. This is not a game. This ain't no play. This ain't yes you can, no you can't. This is real life. There's real people in hell and there's real people in heaven. You got to do something with Jesus this morning. What will you do? Brother George, you sing, my brother. What will you do? You say, brother, I'm, I'm saved, but boy, I tell you, I haven't been living the Christian life. Won't you come? See, I'm not even saved, brother. I don't have any kind of way. Of, I, I, I don't at all add up to any of this. Won't you come and give your life unto Christ?
Are you really living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? Are you denying ungodliness and worldly lust? Are you looking for the blessed hope? Our great God and glorious Savior. Are you His possession? Are you His? Pure people. Are you? I beg, I beg, I beg. That God, God would work. Yes, amen. Blessed be His name. Hallowed be His name. Well, God, I pray you'd breathe on somebody's today. Pray you'd draw somebody under you. May you be lifted up. May you be exalted. May some soul come to know you. May the name of Jesus be such a wonderful name, a precious name, a glorious name. Let's be dismissed this morning. I hope that you get to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're preaching out of Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to preach on one verse. So we won't be long on one verse. So you come back and we're talking about the road to revival, looking for that revival. Let's be dismissed and we thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord for you. Brother Cat, would you dismiss us, my brother? Deeper than the ocean and wider than the sea is the grace of the Savior for sinners like me. Yes, it's great.
Christ. Oh.